The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, most of us have been taught that fear is a problem to be overcome, Especially in some of the spiritual community, fear is basically the F word. It's the enemy. It keeps us from having what we want. It makes us live from what's called the lower self rather than the so-called higher self. But fear, like all of our other emotions, just has a message to deliver. And in some cases, that message can literally save our lives. But beyond that, it can also be a warning bell, a determiner of the next step, an informational email to allow us into our shadow material and therefore a consciousness raiser. Fear is our friend, and the more we try to send it away, the less we're able to really live an authentic life. But what we fear the most is that when we become conscious of our fear, it's going to begin to dominate our behaviors. So how do we deal with fear effectively? That's what we're going to talk about today. And the answer to that question is going to bring us to the next phase of our spiritual development as a species. You see, for years, for centuries actually, we've been trying very, very hard to put our emotions in a container, in a place where they don't really come up and bother us. The only problem with that is they just keep coming up and bothering us. And not only do they bother us, but they bother other people. So that we can try really hard, for example, to put away our anger and eventually it blows uh, and and we blow with it and the people around us get blown away with it. And so we impact others by the very fact that we've repressed our rage, our anger, and it becomes rage because we have repressed it and it sits down there and and builds over time. So slowly I think we're beginning the process on just the very fringes of beginning the process of being able to understand that our emotions were not meant to be sent away. Our emotions are important messengers And we need to be able to learn how to listen to them. The problem is that, like I said, we fear that our emotions will dominate us if we listen to them. We fear that our emotions have the capacity to take over our lives without our conscious intention and throw us on the floor and stomp on us and all the people in the room at the same time. And yes, they do have that capacity if we try to repress them. And they grow bigger, and then they blow. Yes, that can happen, but it doesn't have to happen that way. In fact, one of the things Carl Jung talked about in his work was the ability to hold the tension between the feeling and the action long enough to be able to assess what's really going on inside of us. And that tension holding is a a part of maturity. 
It's the ability to just go, okay, I feel that feeling, but I don't have to act on that feeling. I can sit with that feeling, listen to that feeling long enough to get its message. And the same is true with fear. But what we hear, particularly in the New Age, New Thought, uh, Human Potential Movement, and those are not the same. I put them all together because they link to each other in some significant ways, but they're not the same. But I, but uh, in that uh, sort of community of spiritual people who are what most people would classify as spiritual but not religious, um, there is a real fear of fear. <laughs> we... We have decided that fear is the opposite of love and that you can't have both at the same time. And the, the same people that are talking that talk are also talking the talk of oneness. Now, this is not me critiquing those people. It is me being able to sort of say as we evolve into more and more truth about who we are, as divine beings and as one with each other and with the divine and with everything else, we have to shift our consciousness at greater and greater levels so that what we learned back in 1990 may not necessarily be true today. Um, for example, we got taught in 1990 that, that, um, that the law of attraction was a law that said, if I think positive thoughts, I'm always going to get positive results and there's something wrong with me if I can't make that happen. And now we're slowly beginning the process of understanding that the law of attraction is different from that. The law of attraction is actually something far more superior than us in our, um, in our conscious externalized way of thinking, deciding what we want and the world, the universe is supposed to give it to us. Um, so that's the reason I wrote the book, The Law of Attraction, Your Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can. And, and several people are coming around to that new way of thinking that, yes, the law of attraction was a good start, but there's more to it than what we originally thought. And the same is true of our concepts of fear, although I think we're just on the very beginning fringes of being able to see that. Fear is a message to us, for us, about us. It does not eradicate our potential to accomplish what we came here to accomplish. It has no more power than that which we give it. And um, we, we have been learning from many of our teachers that we should not feel fear. And if we feel, feel fear, we cannot at the same time feel love because those are opposites. And one of the things that Carl Jung taught, and I strongly believe, and you get to decide whether you agree with it or not, is that we are in the process of merging the opposites in our in our psychology and our psyche, uh, and that is how we will become whole. So the masculine and feminine within us merge. Um, um, the the external and the internal will merge in some kind of way. Form and formlessness will merge. There will be all kinds of mergings that will happen as we become whole, and fear and love will also merge. In fact, fear is a form of love. Yes, I said that. Fear is a form of love. When we find ourselves in a dangerous position and we are afraid, what is happening is we are loving ourselves. That fear is coming up and saying, I love you, watch out. Just like a parent would a child. Watch out. And we know that if we're standing in the middle of the street and there's a Mack truck coming, we're going to feel that prickly, um, um, amazing 
potent, powerful fear come up inside of us, and hopefully it will make us move out of the way. We will listen to the fear enough to go, oh my gosh, i got to get out of the way, and we'll move. Um, so fear can be very helpful. There is one author of many, many authors who've written about fear who writes about fear in a very different way. His name is Kevin DeBecker, Gavin DeBecker, and he wrote a book several years ago that was popularized on its 10th anniversary by Oprah um, called The Gift of Fear. And that in that book, he talks about how fear can help us to keep ourselves safe. And I remember one story that he told on the Oprah show um, about fear, about a woman who uh, had this feeling, just this frightening feeling every day when she came home to her apartment. She felt that someone had been in her apartment. And in fact, uh, it turned out she went, she decided to go ahead and check it out. And she put a camera in her apartment and it turned out that there was somebody coming in her apartment. Her neighbor was coming in her apartment every day and putting on her lingerie and wearing it around the house. Um, and of course she had that stopped when she contacted the police about it. But so what was happening there is she decided to tune in and listen to that fear and do something to find out, to find out if it was a rational or an irrational fear. And she learned that, in fact, it was a, an irrational fear. Now, some people would say that was intuition. I would say that there is a deep connection between intuition and fear. Um, and that is one of the ways that fear blesses us. It can be very intuitive. Um, so uh, it's similar to someone who's looking. You, you've all, we've all experienced this. Somebody is looking at us, and we turn, and we look at them, and we see that they're looking at us. Or uh, somebody, we're looking at someone else, and the same thing happens. They turn and catch us looking at us, looking at them. Excuse me. And and uh, that's the kind of the way that intuition works in and of itself, without fear attached to it. But uh, with a fear attached to it, it's more urgent. It it says, do something about this. Do something about this. Do something about this. And we're if we listen we'll get some guidance about what we can do about it. And this person in uh, De Becker's book listened and was rewarded by keeping herself safer. Um, so ultimately what, uh, what fear can do for us is raise our consciousness because what it can do is put us in touch with deeper aspects of ourselves. So, for example, uh, there was a time in my own life when I got this sudden kind of fear that maybe there was something wrong with my bank account. And it was an intuitive flash, but it also came with an urgent fear that kind of said, you got to find out about this. So I did. I went to the bank and I found out that, in fact, a company that I had been uh, contracted with had um, not paid me. Uh, they were supposed to have a, a automatic uh, deposit into my bank account, and they had not done that. And I was about to write some checks on that the amount of money I thought was in the bank account. This was back in the days before you could go online and check your bank account or check it on your telephone or all that. But, um, of course, my paying attention to that kept me out of having a lot of bounced checks. Now, you might, we might say, well, that's a fairly minor situation, but it could have been a major situation. I could have gotten into some trouble if I hadn't really tuned into that fear. So... Um, that's a way that it can serve as a warning bell to us if we just pay attention but it runs much deeper than that uh, fear can tell us about all kinds of things it can tell us about people 
um, infants will sometimes cry in the arm of some, arms of someone that they fear. And we might later find out that that person was actually a pretty um, person who might have harmed someone, anyone in the family or in, in any kind of way at any kind of level. Um, but that infant picked up on it and w- would cry and then been, when put back in the hands of the mother or the father, stopped crying. Um, or put back in the hands of somebody who wasn't the parents, just not that person. They had, that child, that infant didn't want to be held by the, that particular person. So fear was there and it was telling. And um, um, so it can tell us about people. When we have a feeling, you know, um, there are some people going around talking to children about how they can protect themselves from being um, sexually abused. And they tell them to pay attention to that uh-oh feeling. And that's a great way to describe it to a child. It's an uh-oh feeling. So um, you get this feeling about somebody, and it usually is attached with fear. Uh-oh is a fear feeling. And um, there, you get this intuitive flash, and you get the, the fear with it. And the, the fear says, no, that's, this is not a person you need to be hanging out with. No, 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 no. And if we ignore that, then we suffer the consequences. So, so fear can be, can, can really help us know who our associates can, should be and should, should not be. I work with many, many people who have been in devastatingly abusive relationships who say to me, you know, I knew this. I knew this in the beginning. I just didn't pay attention. Uh, and I very frequently will ask them, what, what did you feel? What, what did you feel in the beginning? And they'll say, I was afraid. But I didn't pay attention. And part of that is because of our teaching. Back in the late 90s, there were T-shirts everywhere with fearless on them. Uh, We've been taught throughout society to just pay no attention to fear. Go ahead and do whatever it is that we're we're supposed to do. Don't be afraid. Take your risks. Go for it. Um, And there is a time for taking a risk and and for saying, okay, to the fear, I've got to comfort you now. I'm going to go ahead and take this risk. But there's also a time for listening to the fear and to say, um, you know, no, I, I really need to pay attention to this fear. So um, it, it's, it can serve as a great guide in our decision-making capacities. But if we're ignoring it, then we're not, we're not going to get the gain and we're going to suffer some losses. But our great spiritual teachers are very often teaching us not to listen to that fear. And that's what I want to say. If you don't get anything else from me today, I want you to get this. Fear is our friend because it has a message for us. And anyone who tells you not to listen to that message, while they may not be a bad person at all, they are definitely giving you some information that has been passed down to them from generation to generation to generation to generation with a whole different spin on it from a spiritual perspective, but the same old information. Don't pay attention to what's inside of you. And and I, I'm going to be always going to fall err on the side of paying attention to what's inside of you. Um, so um, when it comes to determining our next step, uh, in a, particularly in a risky situation, say we want to invest um, X mile of money in a particular endeavor and we are afraid. Well, the fear is telling us something. Now, it may not be telling us um, that we shouldn't do it at all. But it may be telling us to pay attention to exactly how we're doing it, who we're trusting to invest this money for us, um, how we want to invest it, when 
when and how and in what company and and how much we want to invest. So when we tune into that, we're paying attention to the to the um, the uh, important implications of that investment. But if we didn't, if we just say, "Oh, fear be damned," I'm just not going to pay attention to that. Of course, I'm afraid. I, I'm taking a big risk, but I just need to go ahead with it anyway. Then we're not getting the subtle, nuanced information that fear can give us. So we might be uh, starting into the process of making that investment. And in this particular pocket of that investment, we feel okay. But in this one, we feel a little fear. So we go, okay, what is that? What is that fear? Well, maybe I need to invest over here or maybe I need to wait a month or two or maybe – do you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm not talking about magical thinking. I'm talking about tuning in paying attention to what's going on inside of us and that is informative the the people that are the most psychic in the world are the people who are telling us fairly consistently to tune in and one of those is Sonia Choquette she's going to be on our show um, uh, this month as well so we'll be talking to her soon but uh, the, the idea that fear is um, an important aspect of what we need to observe in order to get clear on what our next step should be is not one that we hear frequently in our spiritual communities. Now, I want to uh, speak a little bit in the next break to the the idea that fear and love are opposite, but I want to say something else about uh, that guidance that fear can give us. Um, sometimes we find that our fear is irrational, that that our fear is not telling us about something that's really there, but our fear is telling us about something we have experienced in the past um, that causes the hackles to raise on the back of our neck and and informs us that we should hold back and stay back. For example, if I uh, I have been abused in the past, I might think that the next guy or the next girl that I date is definitely going to abuse me when I don't have any information that gives, tells me that other than my fear. Um, and so that's definitely a time for investigating, and it's definitely a time for slowing down the relationship and how fast it's going because you want it to meet you at your comfort level to be able to say, I need, I need to be able to space this out in a way that I can actually see what's going on. So sometimes we get into a relationship and we just want to speed ahead. And we know how that is. Things go by faster and we don't pay attention to them as much. It's like driving a car 120 miles down the freeway. You're not going to get the details as much as you would if you were driving slowly. So when you, if you can just slow down, your fear is just saying, slow down, slow down, take this in. Um, be sure that you're doing what's good for you. And that is also a guidance. Even though the fear is not really rational, even though this person that you're dating has given you nothing to indicate that you should be afraid of them, um, and and you have connected the dots between your fear and some traumatic experience of the past, and you're having sort of post-traumatic flashbacks about this person, that still that fear is still giving you guidance. It's still saying, slow down, do this at a pace that you can handle it. Don't push yourself. Okay, so. Even then, the fear is telling us something very, very important. So we say, well, lots of times fear is irrational, so we sh- shouldn't pay attention to it. I disagree with that, and I'm going to say more about that after the break. And I'm also going to talk about the distinction between love and fear after the break. So stay tuned for more. We're here today talking about your friend, my friend, fear. We'll be back in just a moment.
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. There are a lot of questions about psychic reading and messages from beyond and what they say to us and about us. Join hosts Pat Nelson and Bryce Korsanowski for Illuminating You. Our program will answer many of the questions that you may have and others will have. Our guests discuss and share their personal stories of triumph over trauma. We'll talk about all aspects of healing, living as a part of nature, and other psychic and medium topics. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the notion that fear is our friend uh, in opposition to the uh, mainstream of spiritual thinking where we're taught that fear is not our friend. Fear is basically an enemy, although those words are not usually used, but it's basically an enemy to who, who will um, sabotage us and keep us from having what we want and keep us from being able to uh, manifest the law of attraction and keep us from being able to uh, live from our higher self and uh, those kinds of things. And so we're, we're constantly bombarded with information about how we should not be afraid uh, from the time we are little bitty till the time now when we join into a spiritual community where we're told that fear is the opposite of love. Um, so uh, I want to finish what, what I started talking about in the first segment and that idea that sometimes fear can be irrational. Um, the idea that uh, fear can be irrational, first of all, is is um, kind of it's a little funny because all of our emotions are irrational. There is not ration and emotion are 
oxymorons. <laughs> um, emotions aren't supposed to be rational. The mind is supposed to be rational. Emotions are not. But we're supposed to meet in the middle somewhere. Uh, we're not supposed to say only the rational counts. Because that's not true. If that were true, we would never, ever take the risk to have a baby. <laughs> I mean, really, think about it. We would never have children if we, if we thought it had to be rational to have children. Um, and and uh, we would never fall in love. There's, uh, we probably would never take a, a, a job um, that, you know, we had this feeling about the boss, but we took the job anyway. We might not ever take a job if we decided that all of our emotions had to be rational. Um, so it, it isn't that our emotions are supposed to be rational. What is true is that our, uh, that our emotions and our intellect are supposed to merge somewhere in the middle and come up with something uh, that is genuine and um, that can, is useful. Uh, but so many times, you know, we hear uh, on the one hand, follow your heart. You know, we hear that all the time. So we, we can read um, little quotes from the masters on Facebook that say, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. But then on the other hand, they say, you know, fear and love are opposite. You can't have love and fear in the same space. Um, it's kind of like having gravity and anti-gravity in the same space. So uh, we kind of get a double message there that, that, um, that you should, we should follow our hearts, but don't follow our hearts, you know. Um, and what I say to people when people come in uh, to my office or into, you know, talking to me on online or, or someplace like that, when they say to me that I just wanted to follow my heart, what I say to them is that perhaps our heart needs some intellect too. Um, we don't want to just follow our heart. And people say, you know, people ask, well, why did you stay with this person who was abusive? Why are you staying with this person who's, well, because I love him. And that idea comes from the idea that we're supposed to follow our hearts. And uh, so I say, well, okay, love is wonderful. That's one ingredient that is essential to a healthy relationship. And, and we have to have the in-love thing going on for a healthy partnership, primary relationship to exist. But it needs some other things too. It needs uh, compatibility and both partners need to have relationship skills and we won't know if those two other things exist unless we put our head in gear as well. Okay, so it's not just about following our hearts. It's also about putting the mind and its ability to observe and our intuition together with our hearts. But it also means that the heart has other things in it besides just the love. The heart can have also some fear. And most of us have a little bit of trepidation, at the very least, about investing in a relationship. Um, and that's a healthy thing. We should have some, a little bit of trepidation. We should be able to use that fear to say, slow down, pay attention. You know, it's a little bit like riding a bike. You're going to ride the bike and you get to this sharp right angle turn and you're going to slow down. And you're going to take it slow around the curve. You're going to be watching to see if there's cars coming. You're going to be paying attention, right? It's the same exact thing. And you're doing that with your head and your heart together. Your heart is a little bit afraid, so your head kicks into gear and says, okay, let's make the body slow down. So now we got the heart, the head, and the body all doing the same thing. 
that's good stuff. That's congruence. Um, but very often when we get into a relationship, we're not being congruent. We're just following our heart without our head. And we're not even following the whole heart. We're just following the love part of the heart. We're not following the fear part of the heart. So we're also not following the dislike parts of the heart. For example, you go out with a guy. I'm take it from a girl's angle since I'm a girl. You go out with a guy and um, he makes sarcastic comments to the waitress at the restaurant. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Do you like that? Does that make you trust him? Does that uh, is that something that you think is funny, or is that something that you find to be a little bit disrespectful of people? What does that mean to you in terms of how he might later treat you? I don't know the answer to any of those questions, but the a- answering them is important. And so we stop doing that. We go out with somebody, you know, he's so cute and he's so nice and he's got money and he's got this and that and the other and he's, he's, uh, he's available and uh, la, 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 la. We make all, check all the checklists off about the things we want to think about. But we don't want to think about the possibility that there might also be some problem areas that we need to consider. And does, does that mean that you shouldn't be with him? But no, not necessarily. It might mean that you might need to slow down and pay more attention so that you might see what else is going on there. It also might mean that you might need to, um, to talk with him about, you know, these things that are a problem for you and, and eventually see if he's willing to do anything about that. Um, and this can work male, female, male, male, female, female. It doesn't matter about your sexual orientation or whether you're a male or female. It only matters that we, that we think about what it is to really make an investment. The truth is that we're very often much more, uh, careful about investing $500 than we are with our hearts. Um, and that's because we've been taught two mixed messages. Follow your heart. Don't be afraid. And, and those two things are oxymorons. They don't, you, you can't follow your heart and not also follow your fear. Okay? Your fear is also in your heart. Alright, so, um, we, we got, we've all been given that message and all of us have followed it to our own demise at some point or another in our lives. Hopefully as we get through the hard knocks school, we begin to realize that, you know, maybe our fear has something to tell us. But there are still so many of us holding on to that idea that if I'm afraid, I am not loving. And I would say to you that's false. Not only is, as I said earlier, does fear, is fear a form of self-love? Because it's saying, get out of the road, there's a Mack truck coming, slow down, pay attention to what's going on here, put your observer cap on, look out. It's saying those things to us. And it's important that we pay attention to us. So it's a good guardian for us uh, but it also is uh, it, it's a form of love for other people too and here's how when I for example fear a, feel a fear about another person and I examine that fear and find that that fear comes up every time I'm around that person and I'm getting these uh-oh feelings like I talked about in the first segment and it's pretty um, consistent that I get that uh-oh feeling every time I'm around this person. And I begin to pay attention to that. And I start backing away from this person. Whether I tell the person why I'm backing away or not, I start backing away. And and the person begins to experience me as not really, no, she's not going to hang out with me. Um they can react to that in whatever way they choose to react to that. But the truth is they're being given feedback. 
you know, uh, there are people, researchers who uh, have said that anywhere between 50 and 90 percent of our communications are nonverbal, depending on which researchers you're reading. Um, uh, that our that our, a huge amount of our communication with other people is nonverbal, and that is feedback. So if I'm backing away from a person of whom I'm afraid, then I am giving that person feedback about how they're impacting me. And that is a loving truth that gives them information about how they impact other people. Now, that's not what most of us have been taught. Most of us have been taught not to tell other people how we really feel in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So what we do is we sort of scoot around it and find ways to not really have to tell but not really do anything either, not really say or do any, not um, just kind of be nice, that whole nice in quotation marks where we're being nice and we try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And the other thing, especially if we're in the spiritual community that we do, is we say we should be loving to everyone. And so we're just going to give this person the benefit of the doubt and we're going to be kind and loving to them. And it doesn't matter what they do or how scared we are. It's not nice to be unloving. So we don't need to back away. That I mean, how is that going to make them feel? They'll probably get their feelings hurt or they might even get mad at me. And who wants that? So let me just be nice and let me just give them the benefit of the doubt. And I will tell you that I probably in the past 31, 32 years, I have talked to hundreds of people who have given the benefit of the doubt to Mr. or Miss Wrong and gotten themselves in all kinds of terrible problems. Um, so... That is not the truth. And one of the things that Jesus said was, the truth shall set you free. And let me tell you something. It sets everyone else in the room free too. At least it gives them the opportunity to set themselves free. So when the truth is either told or shown, then that is honest, truthful feedback that sheds a light on the person's how that other person is impacting other people. And that can be, if they use it, useful information. If they choose not to use it, okay, you're still safe. They have a choice about what they're going to do, but you've created safety for yourself. So um, it isn't unloving to be afraid. As a matter of fact, if the fear is giving us a truth, and it very... I don't know of a time when it isn't giving us the truth, even when it's what we say irrational. It's still giving us some kind of truth to pay attention to. Um, then if it's giving us truth, then it is setting everyone in the room free. And so fear is not only our friend, but it is a kindness to other people. Yes, it is. We've got this idea that it is unkind and not very quote-unquote nice for us to tell other people how they impact us. And many an alcoholic has gone down the drain because nobody ever said, you know, your drinking really bothers me and here's how. Um, I I knew of a person that I really liked a whole lot, admired. I knew him professionally and I admired him. He was a... Very, very functional alcoholic, um, managed to run a good career, come off as a really nice guy, likable, friendly, but he ended up killing uh, two people in an automobile accident because he was drunk. And it turned out that no one in his office, and I was not in his office, um, I only saw him once or twice a year, but um, 
and I didn't never know he was drinking, but the people in his office did know that he was drinking, and um, they they saw it on a constant basis, and they gossiped with each other about it, but they never said anything to him. And I always think about that when I think about this whole idea about fear and how we are so afraid that if we respond in fear to someone that we are not going to, that they're not going to like us or that it's going to cause more disruption and we just don't want to have to deal with that. And furthermore, uh, we are going to have to, um, we're, we're not being nice. We have to look in the mirror and see ourselves as not, not nice people. So, um, we think that's not being loving. And, um, and so we don't say what needs to be said. And I often wonder what might have happened if someone in the office, maybe even his boss, had said to him, you've got a serious problem with alcohol and we're going to see that you get some alcohol treatment, put you in an employee assistance program and get you some treatment. I wonder what would have happened. I wonder if those people would be alive today. We'll never know, of course, but the, the point is that we have this illusion, and it absolutely is an illusion, that if we're being nice to people, then we're offering them a great kindness. But A, generally speaking, people uh, know when it's not really nice. I mean, underneath all the niceness is this gossipy, seething kind of grumpy grumbling that we really don't like them and we just have to tolerate them or or fear or some other uh, emotional response that's telling us the real truth about what's going on between us and those other people. But we don't respond to that. Because we've been taught to love our everyone on the in the world, and if we don't like them much, well, we think that means that we're not good people. And so we're hearing all the time from our spiritual leaders that we should always be loving and never let fear, you know, have a say so in our lives. And um, that is faulty teaching. That is not love. That is not truth. That is that is uh, information that comes to us from the duality trance state that says. Uh, we should put on actions, put on actions that make us look like good people, and then somehow we are good people because we've put on the actions. And that's the very thing that so many of our great spiritual masters, including Jesus, uh, had so much to say about, uh, particularly on his Sermon on the Mount where he really pounded at home that the external behavior really is not the problem. It's the internal, what's going on inside of us that's the issue. So... Uh, when we, when we're living as if fear is not something to acknowledge, we're, we're not living in truth. We're not living in truth and nobody in the room is free. And when nobody in the room is free, there's nothing really spiritual happening in that room, no matter how nice you are about it. There's nothing really spiritual happening in that room. So, I guess what I want to say here more than anything else is when we hear love and fear cannot happen at the same time in the same place, um, that's a falsehood, and it's based in duality thinking. It's based in uh, an, a notion of ourselves that we should put away certain emotions, and um, some of them are bad and should not be heard. And all of them are blessings to us from our Creator, however you see that Creator. Um, that, uh, and then we are co-creating our reality now based in that idea that we are uh, we are full of feelings all the time, and all of them need to be acknowledged. And that is how we open up ourselves to the abundance that life actually is, instead of pretending to ourselves that we feel something different 
because that's nice. Okay? So that's what I want to say. Now, in the next segment, we're going to hear about uh, Oprah's upcoming two weeks, Super Soul Sundays, where she interviews swimming champion Diana Nyad. So you want to be here for that. We'll be back in just a minute. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you looking for better sex? Learn how to have the best sex of your life when you join Ellen Etoff and her program, Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. You'll explore every aspect of love, sex, and intimacy, and discover new realms of possibility, including the spiritual dimensions of sex. It's an adults-only world with guest experts sharing valuable tips and techniques and so much more. Cultivate the powerful energies of sexuality and an undefended heart. Listen and join in live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you in tune with yourself? Listen every week for Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening. Featuring host Sherry Lynn. When we understand that we are not alone in this world and have infinite love available to us at all times, we can be ecstatic and call upon the assistance we need to reconcile and release our past, fear, and addictions. Listen to Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Joy, bliss, and ecstaticism is our God gift to experience. Be joy. Be peace. Be love. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology offering as a terminal degree both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift to the world. 
AIHT is a real educational program where you'll get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing, as your text writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And we're talking today about fear and um, what, how to handle it effectively. So what we've said already is that what we've heard about fear down through the centuries and even now in our spiritual um, communities is that we should not pay attention to fear. And uh, particularly in the spiritual communities, we've heard that fear and love are opposites that cannot be in the same place at the same time. That comes from um, a passage in the Bible that says, perfect love casts out fear. Um, it's in First John, the book of First John, and uh, it's also in The Course in Miracles, perfect love casts out fear. Well, the idea is that if you love perfectly and are loved perfectly, you will not be afraid. And I would say that fear is part of how you love yourself perfectly and how the divine loves you, by giving you an emotion that is useful to you. So uh, when we say some emotions are not good and some emotions are good, the joy and the peace, that's good, but the, the fear and the anger and, and the anxiety and those kinds of things, which anxiety is a form of fear, those are not good and we should not have them. And so we spend our lives trying to get rid of them. And there's book after book after book telling us how we should, um, uh, how we can work to get rid of them. So what I want to say today is I'm not going to tell you anything about getting rid of them. Um, I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to tell you is how we can work effectively with our fear, not against our fear, but with our fear to allow fear and consciousness to merge in a way that makes us deeply uh, associated with our inner world and also uh, much more aware of our external world. So uh, when fear takes the form of anxiety, it can be about a, a trauma, a traumatic event that happened in the past, a failure that happened in the past that we don't want to repeat. Um, and it, it also can be just based in a kind of slippery world we lived in as we were growing up where we were never sure where to put our foot and it, because it was, it would slip out from under us all the time because people couldn't be counted on. There was nothing reliable in our early environment. And so we learned to cope with that. By being over, being hyper vigilant, which is what anxiety is, is a way of being hyper vigilant. I can watch out for this and this and this and this and this because I can see the worst problem coming up before it even starts. And so we, we avoid doing the things that we, we could or maybe even should do because we're anxious about doing them and we obey the anxiety. We say, okay, well, instead of, understanding it we obey it automatically it comes up as a fear and we go okay i won't do that because my fear is telling me not to and so we don't invest and so in those cases then the people think that the solution is to get rid of the anxiety but actually the solution is not to get rid of the anxiety but rather to hear the anxiety as a friend who's trying to give us guidance and to get closely attuned to exactly what it is that the anxiety is trying to tell us. So if it's saying, well, don't ever invest in that or don't ever get in a relationship because you might get hurt, um, then reality can come in and say, well, yeah, you're going to get hurt. 
and and so we can think about that differently. Uh, this is a great topic and a great segue for our, our upcoming clip with uh, Oprah's upcoming two shows with Diana Nyad, uh, October the 6th and October the 13th, um, in which she uh, interviews her on the power of human spirit, of the human spirit. So uh, she talks about how, you know, at, at one point she uh, stopped, kind of let that uh, anxiety or fear stop her because of a failure. Um, but when Oprah interviews her, we, we also know that she has just recently, Diana Nyad has recently inspired the world when she became the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida without a shark cage at the age of 64 in just under 53 hours. Relying on her mantra, find a way, Nyad proved that anything is possible at any age. Uh, the conversation that Oprah has with her is revealing about chasing your dreams, pushing your limits, and daring with intention and purpose. And so we, we do hear that daring that has to do with fear. Diana Nyad was a prodigy in the pool from the time she started swimming competitively at age 10 with a passion and a vision beyond her years. She first earned international acclaim in 1975 when she swam around Manhattan in a record-breaking eight hours. Four years later, and several world records to her name, Nyad would retire from swimming at her 30th birthday. She went on to become a professional sportscaster, author, and motivational speaker. While success followed her wherever she went, she had a lingering dream to accomplish a feat that would, many would call impossible. After losing her mother in 2007 and experiencing what she called an existential crisis, Nyad returned to the ocean and to a journey that would test her mind and body and soul. And that's what this clip is all about. So listen in now to hear this. Sunday, the two-week special event. What you showed us all is what a real warrior looks like. You saw her stun the world with her historic 110-mile swim. Now, Diana Nyad goes beyond the headlines. And can't even imagine what that pain feels like. The body is pathetic compared to what we have inside us. And takes us deeper than ever before. It wasn't so much what did I want to do, it was who I want to be. Whoa. A conversation you'll only see on Super Soul Sunday, this Sunday, 11 a.m., 10 Central. And there you have it. That's a person whose existential crisis brought her to an understanding of what she really wanted and how she needed to go about getting it. That existential crisis, if you, if you study existentialism, what you begin to understand is that there is something called existential anxiety. And that anxiety is a, um, is something that says, is my life really as meaningful as I need it to be? And we feel a kind of urgent, anxious feeling that says, oh my gosh, I have to make my life as meaningful as I, my dream wants it to be. My authentic self wants it to be. And that's a push. It's a push from the inside to kind of go, okay, go for it, go for it, go for it. And that push comes from anxiety. And that's why we can't say anxiety is bad because it gives us that push to, oh, my life isn't complete yet. I have to go. I have to get this. And that's what happened with Diana Nyad. And you can hear more about that on the next up two upcoming shows on Super Soul Sunday at 11 a.m. each Sunday. So don't miss that. Um, and so the whole idea here is how do we deal with anxiety? Well, we have to listen to it. We have to hold the tension between the feeling and the action. The action was to say, oh, okay, I'll just do what I've always done to cope with anxiety. That's how we get into obsessive compulsive patterns. We just obsess over something because we're anxious about it, and then we're compelled to do something what we've always done. And, of course, what we've always done never worked except to make us feel just a tiny bit better, and then the anxiety returns. And so we're in this vicious vortex, cyclic vortex. And so uh, the way to deal effectively with anxiety and fear 
here is to listen to it, to sit quietly and just listen. Okay, there's my fear. What is it trying to tell me? And if you stay with that and ask yourself to dream, what is my anxiety trying to tell me? Ask yourself to write. What is my anxiety trying to tell me? Ask yourself to be with it long enough and um, openly enough to hear from your anxiety. What is it trying to tell me? Now, let's say that you've got the kind of anxiety that just is there all the time and you're anxious about everything. That's in my field. It's called a generalized anxiety disorder. And it's called a disorder because it makes, makes us dysfunctional. That doesn't mean that all of our anxiety is, is bad. What it does mean is that we're being hypervigilant. So we're being overprotective rather than just protective. And what that can do is help us to become conscious about the stimulants, the triggers that make us want to be overprotective. And what we're going to find most of the time is that the trigger today Somebody yells at you. Let's say that's a trigger. Somebody yells at you. Well, it goes back to childhood when you got screamed at or yelled at inappropriately and fairly consistently by somebody who was telling you at the same time that they loved you. And it was confusing and you got anxious because it felt like something you couldn't stand on. So um, that the way to deal with that kind of anxiety is to get conscious of where its triggers are and to begin to insert self-soothing, self-comforting, uh, ways of treating yourself in the midst of that and what you begin to do is see anxiety as a, uh, a inward push to comfort yourself and then it becomes your friend then it's not your enemy then it's not something you have to fight against but it's like oh here i am anxious time to self-soothe okay then it's a trigger for self-soothing then you get to have you get to a place of joy and then you stop being so anxious so it isn't it isn't something we should fight against. It's something we should go with enough to hear its message. The same thing with fear. Now, if I'm standing on a cliff and somebody's pushing me from behind, I'm liable to feel very afraid. If I let that fear paralyze me, I'm going over the edge. But if I if I can say, okay, all right, this fear is telling me something, and I know it's hard to be conscious in those moments, but if, okay, what what is it telling me? It's telling me to fight. It's telling me to run. It's telling me to... Um, freeze it's telling me to do something um it's telling me to climb down the mountain's cliff instead of standing here and getting pushed it's telling me something there is a thought that's going with that fear and it and if i'm listening it will tell me but we have to get in the habit of listening so that when those ur- urgent emergency kind of moments come we will will be so much in the habit of listening that We'll know what to do. We'll, we'll be in tune with ourselves enough to just kind of tune in automatically, get the message and go with it. But we can't do, we can't do that if we're not practicing it on a regular basis. So meditation can certainly help for that, help, be helpful with that, particularly mindfulness meditation where you are being mindful of what's going on inside of you. Um, the process of that is to just be with what comes up without judging it, without telling it to go away and to just kind of let it come, let it sit, sit with it, and see what evolves out of that. And that process allows our inner world to begin to communicate with us. We haven't been taught to trust the inner world at all. We've been tra- taught to trust our leaders. We've been taught to trust our um, spiritual and our political and our um, uh, p- police officers, those kind of people, authoritative 
leaders. We've been taught to trust the external world to tell us what to do. We have not been taught to trust the internal world to tell us what to do. But the internal world is much wiser, much more loving, much more powerful than any of those external um, people, places, or things. So uh, learning how to stay inside enough to be present with what is inside of us is one of life's most challenging um, and most rewarding practical events so that we can uh, begin the process of trusting our internal leader. And fear is one of those. Fear is one of those that is our best friend when it comes to really finding out what we need to do about a given situation, a given event, um, and it really can be helpful. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying when a fear comes up, just bow to it. I'm saying hold the tension between the feeling and the action enough to get clear on what the fear is really trying to tell you. It's usually not telling you to do the same old thing you've always done and look for different results because <laughs> that's the definition of insanity. And fear is very, very uninsane. Maybe not rational, but not insane. So that's what we have for today. Um, next week, we're going to be back with some more very useful information about how to be inside of ourselves. And uh, in the following weeks, we've got some wonderful guests coming on, so you don't want to miss that. And remember that each one of our shows, we invite uh, a clip from Oprah's Super Soul Sunday show so that you get to hear that. We are supporting her work, and uh, she is supporting ours as well, and we'd really appreciate that mutual partnership. And uh, so, yeah, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.